If you have ever seen companies like Chick-fil-A and Apple and all of these companies that have a hardcore fan base and thought, man, I wish I could get that level of, of fanaticism into my business. I have done the same in my business with feed stores, and I have looked at companies like Chick-fil-A and thought, how can I get people that are that diehard to be customers of mine? My guest today is a man by the name of Jesse Cole, and he is the owner of the Savannah Bananas baseball team. He talks about how his team and his company has created this raving fan base. If you have the ability to stop this episode right now and Google the Savannah Bananas and look at some of their content, look at some of their fan base and the experiences that they provide, I would really, really encourage you to do that at this time before the episode starts. Jesse says that he has taken a, his words, not mine, boring sport like baseball and made it fun again. He walks through every single intricate part of the sales process from the fan's perspective and talks about how we as retailers can do the exact same process. This episode had such an impact on me. It it rattled me. I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about this episode for several months after it was recorded. This episode was originally recorded in 2021, but it was such a top hit, I decided to play it again. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Better Business Podcast, the podcast that helps you improve your family-owned retail business. My name is Steve Cook. I'm a third generation business owner. And with the things I've learned and talk about on the show, I've taken my family's retail business to over $10 million in sales. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Better Business Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Cook, and on today, I have a very special guest. His name is Jesse Cole, and he is the founder of Fans First Entertainment. He is the owner of the Savannah Bananas and the author to a book called Find Your Yellow Tux. Six years ago, him and his wife were sleeping on an air mattress after selling only two season tickets in their first three months of the season. Fast forward to today, the Bananas have sold out every single game since their first season and have a wait list for tickets of over 10,000 people. They have over 1.2 social media followers, which includes 200,000 more followers than any MLB team on TikTok. They have been featured on ESPN and SportsCenter as the best show in baseball. The Bananas have been awarded Organization of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year, Business of the Year, and won the CPL Championship in their first year. Fans First Entertainment has been featured on Inc. 5000 lists as one of the fastest growing companies in America. Jesse has invented a new game, Banana Ball, and they are now touring around the country making baseball more fun. Jesse, that is exhausting reading how much you've accomplished in the last few years. Tell me about your story. I read that you you grew up around baseball. You were an athlete yourself, which I uh, I thought was pretty pretty cool. And you even like managed a team. I think you were kind of had aspirations of coaching a team. Let me ask you this: MLB has 
it's no secret. They, their ticket sales have declined since 2008. Take me back to, you know, maybe the, the air mattress story of you and your wife sleeping on an air mattress. Why, why a baseball team? Why did you decide to do that? <laughs> uh, no interest as a kid in owning a baseball team. I don't know if many people think about that. They think about playing the game, maybe coaching. Um, for me, it was all about playing, but I, uh, fortunately, uh, tore everything in my shoulder uh, my senior year in college. And I say fortunately because it was the best thing that ha ever happened to me. Um, I was going to have the opportunity to play professional baseball. I was talking to teams, um, and that would have prolonged what I was really meant to do. And what I realized I meant to do was put on a show. And so um, didn't realize that at first. Uh, you mentioned the success in the bananas, but you didn't mention all the failures. Um, you know, flatulence, fun night, salute to underwear night, or horse head race, our halftime show, the Dolce & Banana underwear. We've done a lot of things that have not worked that well. But uh, yeah, the reality is uh, when I was 23 years old, I became a GM of a baseball team in Gastonia, North Carolina. Uh, there was $268 in the bank account on my first day. Um, there were only 200 fans coming to games. And I was so fortunate at that point that when I became the GM, which is crazy at 23, but obviously because the team was failing, no one wanted the job. So I took that opportunity and the owner gave me every chance to try things, to test things, to experiment with things. And I just, you know, what, what if the players did choreographed dances, you know, during the games? What if we had grandma beauty pageants? What if we had dunked the GM inning every sixth inning and I'd get dunked by the fans? And I just learned the opportunity, you know, what made fans interested and excited about going to baseball games. And so for 10 years, no one even knew who we were, what we were doing. 10 years, I was learning this in Gastonia. And then uh, I met our director of fun, Emily McDonald, uh, proposed in front of a sold out crowd. And she fortunately uh, said yes to me uh, in the yellow tuxedo. And yeah, we went to Savannah and we thought we would just do the same thing there. Um, but professional baseball had failed there for 90 years and the team left and we were not professional baseball, college summer baseball. So we came in there with this big lofty goal. And as soon as we got there, I got scared. And what I mean by that is a big city, Savannah, compared to Gastonia, I did not wear the yellow tux like I had before in, in Gastonia. People don't realize I was wearing this as a showman before. That's crazy. And I didn't realize that. I thought that was a Savannah banana thing. No, I mean, it works perfectly, obviously, now. Yeah. I mean, yes, it is a totally Savannah banana thing. That's where it came from. No, I was doing it for uh, years before that. And uh, and so wasn't wearing it. Um, we were afraid to talk about all the circus in the show because we were trying to fit in. We were these, we were just kids running a baseball team. It was, I mean, I was 31 years old. Emily was 28. We had a 24-year-old president and three 22-year-olds straight out of college. I mean, that was our team. And so we're coming in after the New York Mets affiliate. And we were marketing like everyone else. We were just, hey, we're here. And man, we only sold two tickets in our first three months. And yeah, we got the phone call that we overdrafted our account when we were completely out of money. My wife and I sold our house and uh, we're sleeping on an airbed. And it was such an important time for us because I realized that, you know, hey, normal gets normal results. And a big mindset is, you know, whatever normal, do the exact opposite. And that's kind of guided us in creating fans. So, yeah, we came in and, and uh, failed and then finally said, you know what, let's be who we are. And even though we're going to get criticized, let's go all in. And I've learned that if you're not getting criticized, you're playing it too safe. So we named the team the Bananas, came up with a senior citizen dance team, the Banana Nanas, a male cheerleading team, the Mananas, a breakdancing coach, a banana baby before the game, a banana pep band. We paint our bases yellow. We do crazy entrances. I mean, we've gone all in on having fun. And uh, fortunately, it's worked out okay. So I, I thought before, you know, before I had done very much research on you, I had thought that 
man, I, I can't wait till he buys an MLB team and to see what happens. But is that even an is that even an inspiration for you? Do you do you even aspire to have an MLB team or is it are, are you happy with with where you're at right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, zero interest. And, and I I mean, I, I guess I'm always open to opportunities, but it would have to be. Of course. You know, I've learned so much from Walt Disney. I'm sitting here in my office and I every day I have I have geez, five quotes from Walt Disney, three posters from him. I got two things from uh, P.T. Barnum and I look at him every single day. And what I learned from Walt was, you know, he wanted to control the controllables. You know, Walt uh-huh. started, he started, and he's like, oh, we got in these movies, we're creating these movies, but the movie theaters can be dark, they can be sticky, they can be gross, they're not treated the way. He's like, I want to create a land, Disneyland, where I can control the opening entrance, when people leave, the Main Street feeling, the food, the drinks, you want to control everything. In MLB, there's so much red tape, Steve, you can't do any of that. It's yeah. literally the players union, the owners, the, all these things you can't do. You can't have a breakdancing first base coach. You can't have the players deliver roses in the crowd in the middle of the game. You can't do any of that. So um, if, if you can't control an experience and be all fans first, I'm not interested. Do you do you feel like you received a ton of criticism at the beginning? You renamed the team kind of a wacky name and stuff like that. Did you Did you receive a lot of criticism to begin with when you started trying to be different from others? Oh, yeah. I get nervous when we're not receiving criticism. <laughs> I, and I also I actually mean that when when like yeah. no one is talking about us or it's not polarizing, that means we're not really doing anything big, doing anything special, doing anything unique. So yeah, at, at first I was scared of criticism, and I still don't like it. No one likes getting criticized, especially when people attack you personally. Like the owner mm-hmm. thrown out of town, you guys are an embarrassment to the city. You'll never sell a ticket. You're making a mockery of the game. But yeah, we've heard it all, um, but I'm very intentional. We're not for those people. You know, some people yeah. weigh what people say in criticism so much, like it's a family member saying it, but no, what you're doing is just not for them. It's very simple. Right. But yeah. When we came up with the name, people hated the name. They hated it. I mean, we did a, a mean tweet video of all the mean tweets and, and emails we got of it. Um, and then, you know, when we, when we eliminated sponsorship, we got criticism from the industry. When we um, came up with banana ball, literally a new game where fans catch a foul ball, it's an out and it's a two hour time game and there's no bunting because we say bunting sucks. Come up to the bat and swing the bat. Um, baseball purists hate it, but we're not for them. And fortunately, there's enough people out there that want to come out and have fun at the ballpark that uh, that's who we're targeting. That, um, that kind of made me think of uh, uh, Dana White, the guy that's in charge mm-hmm. of the UFC. Um, he's received some criticism because he's kind of doing the same thing. He takes a little bit from boxing, a little bit from martial arts, a little bit from all these different industries, and, and the purists of the sport um, get mad at him for that. Do you feel like um, – do you receive a lot of um, – hate from those people that you're trying to destroy baseball or, or what, what do baseball purists, as you call them, what do they, what do they say that they, they hate so much about it? No, geez. <laughs> where, where do we begin? I mean, the reality is baseball purists, the purists, they want the purity of the game, the way the game was. And the reality is it's, 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 it's a, it's a argument that's not right. The way the game was, the games were two to two and a half hours long. They were still nine inning games. They were faster, more exciting games. And the way the game was, there was no other entertainment in the world to compete with. We're in a TikTok world right now where people can get entertainment at their fingertips. And baseball games are getting longer every single year. So the the argument, um, to me, doesn't hold a lot of water. Now, I understand it. It's a personal preference. Some people would rather sit and watch a long baseball game. I just don't see that's where the world is going right now. So, you know, I, I think the criticisms are going to continue to happen um, when anytime you're doing something that goes against the norm. 
And I'd rather be someone that's challenging the status quo, challenging the way that things are. And I'm doing it in the name of the fan. And you know who's the number one fan or who I try to think of? Like <laughs> George Lucas said, I create Star Wars. I want to create something that I would like. The greatest yeah. innovators try to create something they would want. I played baseball my whole life. I understand the games. I understand hidden runs. I understand sequences. I understand what's happening in the game. And I'm still bored. If I'm bored, who the fuck does someone who doesn't understand the game? So I'm trying to create a game where I'm never bored and I can watch it over and over and over again. I can't watch the playoffs right now. I just can't. I can't. It's not, it doesn't excite yeah. me. So create something that you would love so much that you want to scream on the top of mountains that this is amazing and people should see it. And if you can't create that, then good luck trying to promote it. So let me ask you this. To relate this to every small business owner or business owner that um, – they're they're hearing about this this unique stuff and this this crazy stunts that you do and things like that and they're like man that sounds fun i'm gonna do it and then they get made fun of or they they're scared that it's not gonna work and they're gonna look stupid or whatever it might be how do you overcome that fear do you know which major league hitter has struck out more than anyone that ever played the game which major league hitter has failed more than anyone that's ever played the game I'm not sure. I'm not a. I'm not a staunch baseball guy. Very few people are. But it's like, <laughs> like, like my point is, this guy failed more than anyone. He struck out more than anyone that ever played the game. But he's not known for his strikeouts. He's known for his three home runs in Game Six of the 1977 World Series. He's known as Mister October. He's a Hall of Famer. It's Reggie Jackson. My point here is, people don't forget your strikeout. People people don't don't remember the strikeouts. They don't they don't remember them. Amazon, Jeff Bezos, we talk about that, one of the greatest innovators of our time. How many people are talking about the Amazon Fire phone today? It was a $200 million failure. My point is, what's your next at bat? We fail every day at the ballpark because we're trying so many new things. People don't remember the failures. And you either have a success or you have a story. If you have a great failure, that's a tremendous story. <laughs> so yeah. it's how you look at it. So my point is, people are so afraid. But the reality is, people are in their own bubble. They're focused on their own things. And a failure is only a big failure if you don't get back up to bat. And most people don't keep coming to bat. They do this big failure and then they're so scared because they failed, they're not going to try anything new. Yes, then people might remember because it's the last thing you did. What are you going to do next? What's that next at bat? So that's how I challenge people. It's like have so many at bats that you're due to get a hit. So you've been you've been written about in multiple articles. You've been written about, like I was talking about before we started recording, in, in different books and things like that for your unique branding or your unique customer experience, whatever you want to call it. And you wouldn't be this obviously well-known if it wasn't uh, unique and different than everything else. But let me ask you this. How do you come up with something different? Because all you can see is what everybody else is doing. How do you, how do you specifically come up with different ideas? Do you, is it from a cartoon show? Is it from a, a books you read or anything like that? Like, how do you, how do you come up with, with unique things to, to do for branding and marketing? Maybe that's due to come. I have two, three-year-olds, but it's not cartoon shows. At this point. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not where they're coming from. Uh, the greatest ideas come from problems, frustrations, challenges. The greatest ideas come from putting yourself in your customer's shoes. So the greatest ideas for us, the biggest innovate, not the craziest ones, the crazy ones are different, but the biggest ideas, it starts from friction points for your customer. So literally, if you just look at the customer experience that you have in your industry and write down every friction point, every frustration point and every starting point. So for instance, baseball, long, slow and boring, huge friction point. So for us, we looked at, all right, what would it take to have nonstop entertainment? 
How could we have music, the band? How could we have people getting interacting when they're coming to the ballpark? How could our bathrooms have entertainment? And that's why we literally have make and bake and urinal cakes where our fans are actually <laughs> peeing on our arrival. So you think about all the points which long, slow, and boring and having fun. The next friction point, you go to a stadium, stadium you go to a ballpark, you get nickel and dimed. Steve, you've been there. $5 yeah. for parking, you know, $15, $20 for your ticket, $3 for a program, $8 for a soda. You keep going. I said, that's a $30 friend. for nachos. Yeah. yeah. With just <laughs> way too much cheese or way too little cheese. They never perfect the amount of cheese. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but so we looked at the friction points there. We said, well, that sucks. You know, I don't want to keep pulling money out of my pocket. Every time I have to pull my credit card is a friction point. Every, every pay point is a pain point. So if you think about that, that's a good story. Every time someone has to pay, how do you make it frictionless or how do you make it remarkable? But anyways, so I had the point, that's a friction point. So we said, can we make every ticket all inclusive? So now you come to our game. There's no ticket fees, no convenient fees, no parking fees. You have one ticket includes all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, and dessert, everything for $20 total. So you look at those friction points. And so I think for any industry, you say, all right, you know, and your customer, what if, what do if people don't like about this industry? And what would be the exact opposite of doing that? If they hate, you know, if you think about lawyers being charged every few minutes, every 15 minutes for an email, you know, if you think about obviously the cab industry and what Uber did, you think about Airbnb, all the biggest innovations come from frustration points. So that's where I challenge everyone to start. And that's where we continue to think about walks are boring in a baseball game. So we developed yeah. a new rule. They're called a sprint. And banana ball, on the fourth ball, literally the, the, the umpire goes, ball four, sprint. And the hitter takes off full speed. The catcher has to throw the ball to every position player before it's live. And the hitter's running around. And it's usually a double, maybe a play a third. It turns the most friction, boring part of baseball into kind of exciting. And so, like, we've looked at this at every piece of the experience. And that's how you can really start to innovate. So I watched a keynote speech that you did on um, YouTube, and it, it, you had referred to this idea of, of branding and marketing kind of as, forget all that, I want to create attention. Yeah. Um, and it made me think um, in our industry, or maybe maybe more of like a serious industry or something like that, creating this idea of attention. Is there ever a time where for a business that getting attention can ever be a bad thing? Um, and I don't mean like negative attention, like you have a sexual harassment case or anything like that, of course. I just mean, is there ever a time where, where just getting attention over and over that um, it's a bad thing? Good question. I haven't found it. Yes. I mean, you mentioned obviously <laughs> negative PR, but uh, you can't get the hearts of your fans until you get the eyes and the ears. And I'm, I'm using the term fans because I believe we should be on a move. And I believe every company shouldn't talk about customers, clients, vendors. They should talk about fans. It's a different conversation. So if you want to create fans, you first have to get their attention. And it's the starting point on everything. And so no one even knew who the bananas were until we named the team the Savannah Bananas. You know, no one knew about Banana Ball until obviously ESPN and the Wall Street Journal and USA Today. It was all part of the, the, the method to create attention. So I believe every company shouldn't have a marketing plan. They should have an attention plan. All right, next month, it's like, all right, we're putting this on social, we're putting this on Instagram, we're putting this on Facebook, we're doing this radio, we're doing this. Why should people care? Now, yes, granted, marketing can get customers. If you put enough out there, you'll get customers, all right? But attention is like steroids to getting customers. And so we look on what, what are the things that we're doing to create attention? Every single ball game, we look at what is a crazy, unique, viral moment that we can create that may you know, jump us into even more attention that will get people to understand, wow, these bananas are crazy. They're fun. I want to learn more about them. We're just trying to create curiosity.
Okay, so take me into a different industry. Maybe uh, uh, think of a, a manufacturing facility, or uh, my family owns a, a small chain of feed stores, like they sell racehorse feed and stuff like that, or maybe a grocery store, something that's not in the entertainment business. Um, I'm going to stop you there. Every okay. company is in the entertainment business. Bingo. Every company. Okay. You mentioned a grocery store. All right. Okay. A grocery store. Someone's coming into a grocery store. What's the definition of entertain? It's to provide enjoyment and provide amusement. Now, if you came into a grocery store, all right, and, you know, people literally as they and they're doing this now, you know, you have valet service for your cars. All right. As you're going in to get your uh, your food, they're washing your car. All right. You come in, you've got uh, um, think of it as you got a um, uh, what's it at a hotel where they have a. The service at a hotel, you have a, a concierge or whatever concierge service, yeah. you know, at, at the grocery store, you know, you have, uh, you have special samples, food and drink, right? You go, your kids get excited to go to the grocery store because it's an experience, you know, like Toys R Us. There's no reason Toys R Us should be out of business. Toys R Us thought they were in the toy business. Toys R Us should have been in the play business, in the, in the amusement park and the theme, like that should have been their experience. You come into Toys R Us and you play, it's $10 and you play as much as you want. You just happen to have the opportunity to buy toys. <laughs> so, so it, it's just a different game. So in, in, for instance, it's all on experience. So whether it's horse feed, whether it's manufacturing, why are people talking about you? What makes your experience different? When they first call you, when they answer the phone, what's your, what, what, what do you do? What's the voicemail? When they buy from you, do they get a fun video that's sent in? We send videos and we go buy, you know, that whole entire process is part of entertainment and is part of experience. That's how you can stand out. You don't need to say, hey, this is how you buy. This is an invoice system. This is so-and-so. Manufacturing, why? Even if it's a widget, if you're selling a widget, why should people care about your widget? How can the experience of buying a widget be so remarkable? You wouldn't believe it. I was buying a widget, and this is what happened in the experience. And then three months later, they sent this part of my widget experience. That three words I said in the middle of that is you wouldn't believe. How do you get people to say you wouldn't believe about your experience? That is creating attention. That is marketing. That is entertainment. You wouldn't believe. Every day we try to get people to come to our ballpark and say, you wouldn't believe what happened at a Savannah Bananas game. That I think any company can do. So Jesse, in um, 64 episodes, I typically like to ask the question, if you had 10 times the budget you have now, what would you spend it on? And you, um, I usually set this up and say like, if you won the lottery or, or if you, you know, whatever it was, and you hypothetically turned this money down and said, I am not interested in having 10 times the budget. Explain why when asked, if you had 10 times the budget now, what would you spend it on? You would say, I don't want the money. I'll give you a story, how's this? That's even better. When we first started in Savannah, we had pretty much two options for ticketing, ticket master and ticket return. And what were we told? You would pay a dollar, $2 ticket fees on every single ticket. And what they told us was, oh, no, you just put it on your fans. They'll pay the ticket fees. They'll pay the convenient fees. Now, the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. That goes against everything we believe. Our mission, Fans First Entertain Always, every decision we make is at Fans First. And the response was, you'll just put the fees and ticket fees on your fan and then you'll pay this as well. And then so putting the fees on our fans wasn't an option. So we looked at this and said, hmm, this is going to cost us if we sell 100,000 tickets, this is going to cost us $150,000. We just went to $1.8 million in debt. We've sold two total tickets. How can we afford $150,000? There was no option. So we went to 
not plan B, not plan C, plan X. We went all the way down. We said, can we find an upstart that is barely getting started that we can just work with them and design this? And can we print our own tickets in-house? Can we just do this all ourselves and see how it goes? So we found a little little ticket uh, uh, company that was really only had a few clients. And we said, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Like, oh yeah, $3,000 a year. Just we'll work with you. I was like, all right, 150,000 versus 3,000. We'll do that. 3,000 a year and we'll print all the tickets. We printed all our tickets. We made them like banana shaped tickets. No one could do this. Banana shaped <laughs> tickets. We ended up doing scratch and sniff and they smelled like bananas. All right. <laughs> we all in and created this these tickets. And what happened is because we didn't have that money, we had to outthink and not outspend. We created these own tickets that were unique. We were scrappy and we created a better unique ticket experience because of that. And now to this day, there's no ticket fees. There's no convenient fees. And that little ticket company, we just acquired them. <laughs> That's the best. Perfect punchline at the very end of that. Um, so you had mentioned this in the very beginning and you just kind of just brushed right over it. But um, when you go to a lot of uh, stadiums, either the stadium is named after someone or a company or whatever, um, and there's tons of different like sponsorships and stuff like that. Um, you had mentioned that you eliminated all the sponsorships at your stadium. What, why did you, you know, turn down that revenue source at your stadium? Oh, you mean, why would we be so dumb that two weeks before the pandemic on February 25th, 2020, we decided to throw away hundreds of thousands of dollars? You mean that question? Wow. Yes. Yes. Hundreds of thousands of dollars on February 25th, 2020. We came with this big announcement. The Washington Post covered it. It was like all big. And then we're like, okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to have a big season. Pandemic hits. And it was funny. We did that. And then we actually surprised our whole team with a trip to Disney. So we all went to Disney. We're in Disney till March 5th. And we're coming back <laughs> ready to take on the world. One week later, boom, shut down. So yeah, why do we do that? Uh, <laughs> the, the reality is, uh, what do you stand for? And I think a lot of times businesses will have the opportunity to put their foot in the ground, put their stake in the ground and say, this is who we are and this is what we stand for. And we had, a, we, for five years, I've talked about sponsorship. And I said, I've never been a huge fan of it. And here's why. And I, and I know this can upset people. And believe me, it upset everyone in the industry. Here's why. If you go to a sporting event and you look at the outfield fence, you look everywhere, it just adds, adds, adds everywhere. You get your program. Your program is more ads than it is content. It's all about just using your fans to try to get their product in front of people, which I get it. They pay big dollars. So what happens is these teams, who do they work for? Do they work for the fans or do they work for the sponsors? When, when they do these promotions during the games, this so-and-so bought to by car dealership. It's not necessarily a great promotion. They're doing it because the car dealership wanted it. So what happened is when we looked at the numbers and we were like, all right, if we threw away all this, but we really went heavy even more on doing more things for our fans, would we be okay? And we looked at the numbers, even though it was hundreds of thousands of dollars, it was only about 10, 12% of our total revenue. If we lost 10, 12% and we didn't gain it back at all, would we be okay? And the answer was yes. And so what has happened since that point? We don't have to focus our effort and time on our sponsors. We focus all our time and effort on our fans. And since that point, <laughs> our merchandise alone has tripled what we used to do in sponsorship, tripled. And so we have more fans from all over the country. And I'm not saying it's a direct correlation, but we are investing more on the fan experience and our fans are investing more in us. And I think it's a good answer because we're not no longer focusing on that. We're singly focused on one thing and it's the best fan experience. And uh, I think it's worked out okay now, fortunately. So 
Okay, with with all these um, articles that are written about you and written about your team and things like that, I can only imagine. And you have you know branched off a little bit. I know you do like a few keynotes and um, you've written the book and things like that. It just kind of a personal question: How do you balance your time that you spend on maybe your personal brand? I'm sure everyone wants what you what you have in your business. How do you balance? Hey. Jesse, come show me how to do this in my business versus working on the Savannah Bananas. Focused on long-term fans, not short-term profits. So it's a completely different game. So what I've realized is synergy. I've read uh, the great book, obviously, Jim Collins, and he talks about the flywheel. And so for us, it's Good very great. Yeah, very clear. Our flywheel is is every Savannah Bananas game. We have a show. That's why we're going over the country. We know when we play, then we can create more viral moments, special moments, create more fans, which creates more merchandise, so and so and so and so. But you have to as first get your fans to be aware of you. So the reality is every time that I being very transparent, every time that I hope I'm helping someone and taking my time and flying all over doing keynotes, um, I think I'm also creating fans. And I'm, my goal is to help people create fans. So if I create fans, then there's synergy. I'm creating fans of the bananas. I'm hopefully creating fans of what we're doing. I'm hoping helping them create fans as well. And so if we have more fans in this world of great things that we get fired up by, we get, light, we get lit up by or ready to go, that's a good thing. And so, yeah, I will spend my time sharing and talking. I answer every podcast request call, even though it's, you know, like tomorrow we're launching our world tour. So like it is a very busy 20, 48 <laughs> hours for me, but I'm here with you because even 30 minutes, I think in the long term, in five, 10 years, 15 years, you know, we may come into your city and you'd be like, oh, you got to see the bananas. You got to see Jesse. You got to do it. And that may be worth it, but that's not the reason I do it. That's the long game. Now, there's no ROI, direct ROI in that. And I think I'm not focused on my short-term time, my short-term profits. I'm just focused everything on long-term fans and uh, adding value. And I think that's where it works. You see a lot of businesses, I'm sure everything, being a business owner, I would imagine everything business you see, you think of things that you could critique or um, do differently than what they're doing. If you had to tell, you know, generically, what, what should every small business stop doing right now or start doing right now if you had to boil it down to, to a few things? <laughs> I, I know I'm a broken record, but, you know, I think there's, there's, there's two types of meetings uh, business owners will have with their staff or their, their leadership. They'll say, all right, what are we going to do to create revenue and sales over the next three months, six months, nine months? And then there's a small, small, small percentage of, of groups. Chick-fil-A is one of them because I've talked to their uh, vice president of marketing. And they'll have a conversation. What are we doing over the next three, six months, nine months to create fans? It's a different conversation. And so what I challenge people is to stop chasing customers. Start creating fans. Stop chasing, trying to convince people to be in you. Just start creating fans and they will do all the marketing for you. They will promote you. They will share with you. We spend zero dollars on traditional marketing now. Zero. Wow. But wow. fortunately, we have fans driving 40 hours to come to Bananas Games from Utah and flying from all over the country to come. I never chased them. We just started doing things that are getting every people to say, you have to see a game. And so if you're a business owner, have that meeting say, what can we do to create a fan when they first buy, when we interact with them on our website? What are the giveaways we can give them? What are those extra things that we can share to just give without wanting anything in return? That's the different game. All marketers put things out there and say, here's this, go down this funnel and you'll get this and you'll get this. And they just put down these sales funnels over and over and over again. Don't put a sales funnel, just put out something to add value and don't care what you get back in return immediately. And then look back in three, six months, three years, five years, 10 years and say, wow, I've created a boatload of fans. 
Jesse, I want to, in, in preparation for my last question, I want to just tell you that, um, you know, in doing research on you, like I said, I'd, I'd read about you in a book and, uh, uh, I kind of become aware of you at that point, but, um, doing research for this podcast, I have become a fan of yours and, uh, and you've really have inspired me as a, as a business owner to, um, look at the things that we're doing and, and think about, um, doing things differently than, than other businesses. And I want to ask you one final question and that's, I want you to, to, try to take a step back and look at where we started um, with the air mattress story and think about how probably the desperation that you and your wife were in, the scaredness, the the intimidation of doing things differently. And if you had to give one piece of advice, all the stuff that you've learned over the years to a business owner that's just starting out and had to give them one piece of advice, what would that be? Be patient in what you want for yourself but be impatient in how much you give to others. Patient, say it again. <laughs> it's on the back right here of our fans. <laughs> it's on the back of our, as my things are falling. This is great, it's just chaos here. It's on the back of my fan, our Fans First playbook that we go through Fans First You and teach every one of our players, staff members, everybody. And it says, be patient in what you want for yourself, but be impatient in how much you give to others. And what does that mean? What do you think it means? Patient in what you want for yourself, I would say that you're you're putting others first before before you put yourself. Yeah, impatient in how much you give to others, the second part of that. So again, like we were saying, you know, give without asking for anything in return. Just give, give, give. Give so much value that your customers feel like they're taking advantage of you. When people come to our ballpark and get all their food, all their entertainment, everything included, they are blown away by how much we're giving. And we're not nickel and diming. I mean, literally, before someone buys merchandise for us, and we're doing we're so fortunate now, it's actually, we used to, the first shipment of t-shirts came in and bananas was spelled wrong. We actually had too many N's in bananas. Like we <laughs> failed so miserably. We were doing things on Excel sheet. We were failing miserably. We were bringing all the boxes to the post office. And finally, they were like, we can pick them up. We'll just bring the mail truck to you. And so they're bringing the mail truck to us for the last couple of years. And then this past year, they're like, it doesn't fit in the mail truck. So they're bringing the huge like semi truck now every day to pick up our merchandise. We have carts and carts and carts of merchandise. People don't realize this. Before they even buy something right now online from us, it's already costing us $9. Why? Because we have free shipping on everything. We do a custom yellow box, custom yellow stamp. We do yellow koozie, yellow decal, yellow tissue paper, a private note. We are putting $9 into it every single order before it even goes out. That is not a smart business model, especially when our shorts, shirts are 24, 26. It's not, it's not a huge margin, all right, and merchandise. But we want to give so when you first get that box, you first get that merchandise, you're like, you know what? These guys care a little bit more. They're a little bit different. I can't imagine what going to a game would be like if this is what we're getting and just buying a T-shirt. So I challenge just to give so much that the people, the customers feel like they're taking advantage of you. That's how you create a fan. And that's what we're trying to do with everything we do. Jesse Cole, thank you so much for being on, man. Um, I I respect you so much for what you're doing there, and and uh, I look up to you as a as another business owner. Um, so thank you for being on today. Thanks, and thank you for the first person ever to rock another yellow suit jacket on a, on a podcast. So well done, my friend. <laughs>